Anecdotally, what I found though too, and this was always, I, I felt really good with my team, a really great moment for me was we had always be growing the engineering team and our product team, and we'd always have headcount. And we'd sit, say, say, okay, next year we can hire 10 more people. And for the first few years, it was like, well, let's just keep hiring engineers. Yeah, we can do more with engineers. Engineers could do everything. But my engineering managers were handling the product prioritization for a couple of these projects. And when we got to, I think, like year two, and we had some headcount, and everyone's like, we should just hire some product managers because this stuff is hard and we'd like to <laughs> offload it. And I, I feel like, and I, I went through this when I chose to come to Spotify, that if you want to be a really good engineer, you kind of want to really focus on it exclusively. And if you want to be a really good product manager, you got to focus on it exclusively. It's very hard to be great at these two different disciplines at the same time. Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off-by-one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 53. And on today's show, our very own Tim Cunningham is going to have an interview with Adam Lehman. So I guess for the most part, let's just jump right into it. Tim, is there anything you want to say before... The interview starts? Yeah. So, I mean, Adam Lehman, many of you might know him. He's currently a product director at Spotify. So most of us have heard of Spotify, but his background, obviously, those who know him know he was the product director for Cold Fusion back in like a, a Cold Fusion seven days. Heck so, yeah. Yeah. So great guy. I just enjoy catching up with them and just really got to get some really good information about making that leap from uh, developer to product manager so it's great 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 information and, and he's a listener of the show so found that out yeah cool well let's have a listen hey we got adam layman on the show today hey adam hey tim how you doing doing well long time no see i know it's been uh forever and a day it's been forever and a day it has so I know Adam from the days when he was the uh, Adobe Cold Fusion product manager and uh, great guy, hung out with many conferences. So for those who don't know you, Adam, just why don't you give us the introduction, who you are and what you do and what you're doing now? Yeah, so my name's Adam. I'm a product manager now going on 15 plus years with my first product management job being back on Adobe Cold Fusion, sort of when I discovered the trade. I spent 15 years at Adobe doing various product roles uh, and eventually actually been taking on a director of engineering and product role for quite a while. But then more recently, about three months ago, I moved over to Spotify to focus exclusively on product again. And so I've been leading a team there that focuses on the music side of the house. Okay. Very cool. So when you say music side of the house, what does that entail? Well, you could probably imagine a lot of uh, listeners are probably familiar with the listening piece of how Spotify works and all of our sort of player aspects and getting our vast collection of music out to your speakers. I focus on the other side, which is how we work with the artists, the labels, the music providers to get all of that content into our system, manage their metadata, their profiles, have interactions with fans, all that sort of stuff. So Spotify considers it their quote unquote enterprise side of the business, a little bit different term for enterprise than I'm used to. But from Spotify's perspective, this is like the the professional side that when we're dealing with pros and creatives. Cool. Very cool. So I, I know we talked a little bit uh, about who had an earlier episode. We talked about project management to some extent uh, about setting deadlines and th- things like that. But I mean, having your years of experience in product management, w- what's the key to being a good product manager? Oh, wow. Right. The million dollar question for me. I mean, 
and this is a little bit cliche, it, it, it always comes down to empathy and the ability to put yourselves in other people's shoes, understand their perspective, their pains, uh, their passions. And typically that's, I think, the, the strongest skill that you end up building even transparently as you're becoming a product manager going through it is just, it's just ability to see things from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, you tend to end up being able to what we'll call go from your gut quite a bit, but it's really not really your gut. It's actually experience and, and learned understandings of how to do that. So, so I'm laughing a little bit here. So when did you come to that realization? Was that like something you knew early on? Or did, is this the mature, older Adam? Because I remember Adam, the, the, kind of the, the phrase that we use to describe you was to lead by throwing grenades. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's a, this is a difference of personality from just my twenties to where I am today, or it's as a result of a lot of experience. But one thing about product management is usually we lead through influence. Like we don't typically have engineers report to us and we're trying to even go out and promote the ideas or the products that we've built. It's always through influence. And so, I mean, to throw grenades, I found that that can be effective in some areas to shake things up and get into it. But ideally, that's probably not the way that I think I've been successful in the last few years, at least. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just product management maturity or just a personal maturity <laughs> that happens when you get older. Maybe a bit of both, right? Yeah, exactly. So what led you to, to, I mean, was this always your goal? I mean, what background did you come from before you got into product management, before you came to Adobe? What was the plan for like Adam out of school? So I I went to school for film. <laughs> I really wanted to be Whoa. like a writer director coming out of high school, really passionate about some of the sort of, I don't know, cult classics now, like Pulp Fiction and things. I was 100% moving towards a creative side of, ha- of the house of when I was going into school. But, you know, not to age myself too much, this was roughly around 97. So the internet was just like becoming formed, HTML one and two days type of thing. And so in the summers I was spending in between college, I was spending doing web development for a company that my cousins ran. And then I started getting into other things and realizing, wow, this is actually quite lucrative. I was making more money, I think, on the summer that I could pay for my college tuition for the following year. And then realizing, well, there's not a lot in college that's really helping us to to me to build skills for building into the internet. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up doing web development full time. Definitely, this, these are the days where I discovered Cold Fusion, moved from back in the old days, I think Perl and CGI scripts, and then was like blown away by what you could do with Cold Fusion back then. And then, yeah, made a pretty, pretty good career out of it. And then I, so I spent about the first half of my career as a, as an engineer. I worked at places like we used to call them dot coms before they were startups here in the DC area. I spent a bunch of time working at Johns Hopkins with, a, a guess you had earlier, my old boss, Brian Kloss. Mm-hmm. And then I went to uh, the U.S. Department of State post 9-11, got a little patriotic, wanted to sort of do my part. And we spent a lot of time at Department of State basically converting old Delphi apps into web applications, which is really where I got very serious about Cold Fusion and Java. And anecdotally, the story we used to tell is we'd have all this backlog of these old client server apps that we needed to move to the web. And we'd always have this long conversation about, okay, should we do this in like J2EE enterprise Java, or should we just get it done really quickly and do it in Cold Fusion? And you can imagine we knocked out like 10 or 12 Cold Fusion projects while they were working on the one big Java project. So I got 
started falling really in love with cold fusion at that point in time. I started a, a user group at the U.S. Department of State, and that got me on Adobe's radar. So as they were looking to have someone come in and do technical sales, basically work with the salespeople who are selling cold fusion, but don't know necessarily how to speak to developers or really get into the details about how to implement stuff. And at that time, cold fusion was like, 80% of the business was coming from the U.S. government here in Washington, D.C. And so they were looking for someone who knew Cold Fusion and someone who was in Washington, D.C. And so that was, I think, a fairly short list. And I, I seemingly made it to the top of that list and ended up taking the job with Adobe. I spent about a year or so in this sort of sales SE role. It's probably maybe the first time we met, Tim. I think I came mm -hmm. on a, a sales call back in the day. But then when Ben Forda moved up the stack in, in Adobe and started looking at evangelism beyond just Cold Fusion uh, prefix, we used to call developer advocacy. We used to call it evangelism. And so I ended up getting to, I mean, basically have the job of a lifetime of taking over as the sort of Cold Fusion evangelist, which in my early 20s meant you know, traveling the entire world, going wherever Cold Fusion was, wherever the community was, being part of that community and, and you know, trying to share what we were doing with Cold Fusion, but more importantly, try to take everything I was hearing from the community back. And I was definitely in this situation where I kept going back to the engineering team being like, guys, if we would have built this feature differently, it would make my life a lot easier because the community wasn't like happy with this or it just didn't meet everyone's needs. And that's when someone who, who later became a very strong mentor of mine tapped on. It's like, sounds like you want to be the product manager for Cold Fusion. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. But <laughs> if it means I could, we could have more control over what we're building, I'm up for it. So there's a little bit of an anecdote in there too, or a little bit of a story about being hit by a car and not being able to walk. So I also like, couldn't be an evangelist for a while. And that was like, hey, why don't you just be on product for a while since we don't want you back on the road? And, yeah, whether it was fate or whatnot, but that's how I discovered product management and honestly just completely fell in love with it since then. Very cool. Yeah, I did not know that about you, that you were into making movies and stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, you know, I interview a lot of product managers these days. And one of the jokes that I always have is you know, I ask people to tell me about their product management journey because it's very rare that anybody like went to school and thought, I'm going to become a product manager. We usually always discover it somehow part of our life. So it's usually never like the, an obvious choice. Although I think that's changing. I think the, there's some schools now that are actually investing in that even at the pre-graduate level, which is great to see. But, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things that no one ever sought out to be a product manager back in the day. They just kind of stumble into it. Yeah, definitely. So how, how do you think your background starting out a bit of as, as an engineer informs your decisions now as a product manager? Oh, quite a bit. And so I would say that there's different styles of product management and I think different, I don't know, archetypes. I definitely fall into what some would call a technical product manager, where, as you know, like at, at Adobe, whether it was Cold Fusion, I moved on into Flash Platform, built an open source code editor, did a lot more stuff around web development, built some SDKs. It was always developer focused. So our core customer, mm. the, the user I was representing was a developer. So being an engineer was kind of a bit of a cheat because like very easy to find empathy <laughs> with the other engineers since that's the background that I was coming from. And that that helped me provide a lot of opportunities also within Adobe because we have a lot of product managers building creative tools, visual artist side of the house. So when it came to, hey, when we need to do stuff for developers, it's a pretty short list of people who had that background and experience. So it's informed quite a bit. 
it, it became a little bit interesting when I took on engineering again. So the last five years I was at Adobe, I was a director of both product and technology. And that's where I really had to sort of make sure that I was walking the right line. As a product manager who has an engineering background, I was always very careful to not lead with a technical solution. It's just not the right roles and responsibilities. And you want to make sure that everybody's clear on what's expected of each role. And if a product manager is coming in being like, hey, engineer, build it this way. That's not a recipe for a good collaborative work uh, relationship. And so that's always been a little bit of the struggle of having enough technical background to be dangerous with some technical ideas, but being careful enough to always bite my tongue and make sure, hey, it's not necessarily appropriate for me to bring this. Uh, I did get to scratch that itch again once I got back into engineering a bit, but even then... It was very clear that what were the boundaries of like when we can make an engineering recommendation versus a product recommendation and keeping those things hopefully separate. As I've found, that is a key to building great products is letting engineering do their thing and figuring out the hard technical problems, let product figure out the, the, the prioritization, the backlog, the go-to-market problems. And so you get a good, strong trust relationship when those roles and responsibilities are well-defined. Yeah, that's good. So the, the, the product manager, if I hear what you're saying is his or her role is to find out what the market wants, what there's demand for, and then take that to the engineering team. And so you're advocating on behalf of the customers, really. Yeah, it honestly, it depends. And, and I'd say I, I see product management as like actually a spectrum and it's a fairly dynamic role. And in my time at Adobe, I probably had seven or so different products roles and each working with different teams on different products. And each one was dramatically different of what was asked of me or expected of me because for one reason is that the other roles with building software are fairly well-defined. Like we know what engineers are expected to do. They're coming to, to work every day to write code. Marketing, design, they all have very prescriptive, like straightforward ideas on, on what the work is. Product management tends to be the catch-all for everything that doesn't fit in those clean buckets. And so, you know, there's always been that term of the, the mini CEO, which I'm not super fond of. But I, what I think we're trying to say with that is that you're always responsible for the success of the product. How you make that success is pretty dramatically different. It could be making sure that the, the engineer has great, clean stories and their answers. We have answers to all their questions. It can mean working with user research to figuring out what the next feature should be. But it could also be taking it to market, writing the blog posts, the release notes, going out to the conference and, and sharing the work that we've done. And depending on the makeup of the team, depending on the level of experience of the product manager, you'll find that you're focusing in these different areas. So I've always seen this as a bit of a spectrum with one side being product market fit, user research at the core in the middle of the spectrum is what Scrum would call the product owner, the execution pieces, making sure that engineering has what they need, is getting unblocked, and then you're making sure what comes out of engineering is good. So more executing on the vision. And then you've got the sort of other side of the spectrum, which is usually more of the evangelism, advocacy, partnering with marketing, socialization aspects. And yeah, and depending on the team, you might find that, oh, you know what? This is a research team. Engineering really does figure out what's going to be built. Really what they need help with is amplifying the message after it's built type of thing. And so you'll find then the product manager will spend most of their time on that side and not necessarily on the market fit side because that's more technically driven, if that makes gotcha. sense. Now that you're at Spotify, where on the spectrum would you say your role is now as product manager dealing with the, the creatives? Well, so I'm a director of product at Spotify, which means my role is really about helping 
my product management team to unblock them, to try to spur on their creativity and play devil's advocate to their ideas. So not to try to persuade them or change their ideas, but make sure that they feel that they can stand up behind their ideas that if there's criticism or doubt coming, that we've walked through all that sort of stuff. So my, my days are now a little bit more focused on thinking of the higher level piece, but mostly it's more about empowering and helping others on my team to grow and so that they can make those right decisions and, and lead the products correctly. So, yeah, so I guess I didn't really recognize it. So you're a director of product. So you have product managers reporting to you. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I've got a, a whole team. Oh, I imagine it's as big as Spotify is. I imagine it would have to be a, a pretty big team. So you're even further removed. It's almost like you're are you're vetting the ideas of the product management team and challenging them and, and making sure they thought everything through. Is that fair characterization? I think so. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the role is because as I said, like with product management, it's more of what is needed. And so it's always a conversation around what's missing and where I can help, especially even if it's higher. So my team, again, is focused on the music side of the house, but we also, we're considered a foundational team. And so our core stakeholders are actually the internal teams that are building products for the music side of the house, the record labels and the artists. And so what we've been trying to do is build a portfolio that takes as much off of those engineers' plates as possible so that those products can move quickly, pivot, ship fast, but also so that we can standardize where it makes sense. This is part of helping the company to mature, I think, to become a much larger, more uh, consistent company in terms of how we ship software. So so we have a fairly diverse portfolio that comes from, you know, we're either delivering technologies, managing things like CICD processes for some of our apps to building mm-hmm. out platforms to actually even bring some products to market. So it's a bit of a, a mix. And so my task since I've joined has really been trying to make sense of this portfolio, uh, make sure that it's not just a bag of doorknobs, that we're all pointing the ship in the same direction, uh, that we're amplifying the impact that we have when we're working together across these different disciplines. Very cool. So I, I have a personal question. So we had like, recently had a strategy session, and, and one of the things that someone brought up that we need to look at is the Spotify Agile uh, model. Is that something you're exposed to over there? It's like a different way of how your engineers and your product and all the teams relate to each other. Yeah. So I've got complicated feelings <laughs> about this. Uh, <laughs> we love those. <laughs> my first exposure to the Spotify model was probably about a decade ago while I was at Adobe. I think this is when you know Spotify was really pioneering a way to build out their company and be able to ship software extremely fast at a very high quality. And so that got a lot of buzz in the industry. And as a result, I remember we had trainers come in at Adobe as we were launching a a new project to train us on how to think on the Spotify model. I think there's a couple things that I took away from that then that I've definitely carried on forward. We ultimately did not adopt it um, uh, in Adobe in the exact same way that it was prescribed. But I've also found that now that I've joined the company, that model, as the company grows, it was really strong for smaller companies getting off the ground, but not necessarily for the larger, mature companies where we have thousands of engineers trying to collaborate together. But there are a couple of really strong things that came out of it. One of them, there's some nomenclature around squads and tribes and missions, which I think actually is a really strong way of thinking about companies and organizations, but it also really instills autonomy. And so one of the things that I really admire about the model is that we get fairly little 
guidance on how to succeed from up above. What we have is high level goals for the company and says, hey, we want to go and do X, but you won't really hear, and this is how to do it. Because the the atomic nature, it's up to us at a tribe level or a squad level to figure out how we could contribute to that goal and how we could have an impact on that goal. And so it builds a lot of autonomy and independence, which is a product manager is is our lifeblood. (laughs) If we're being told everything to build from stakeholders or else, and we don't have any creative input or any sort of independence, this is typically where, where product managers get super frustrated and leave. And so... As a result, it's a really great environment for product thinking because of that. Now, the con and why my feelings are complicated is that my role and our team's role in the company is to help amplify the success of those around us. So we're sort of in a platform position where these teams who are typically autonomous aren't used to having these big dependencies where they have to depend on other teams for their success. And so there's a bit of this friction that kind of goes with that. But ultimately, it works because the other part of the Spotify model is about shipping fast, failing fast, pivoting. And when you have that piece where teams really do want to move quickly, respond to customer needs and and develop products as fast as they can and get it out to market. They also realize they need help to keep that acceleration going. And so what you may have found is, well, we don't really want to have these dependencies because we want to be independent and autonomous. They're willing to take those because they'll help on that other goal. Okay. Hey, if you guys are going to handle localization, right? For as an example, across all of our products, we don't have to think about it. We can just think about the feature, right? Security, these other sort of must do's that cut across. If we can offload that to other teams, that's a dependency they're, they're welcome to take and they could still be independent and move quickly with those dependencies. Okay, cool. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. That we'll, we'll take that into consideration because we're, we're looking to implement it. We're much smaller than Spotify. So maybe it will fit us well for until we get as big as you guys. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, well, so there's a couple of topics that I think that are at least top of mind for me in recent time. And one of them is about this journey between going from an engineer to a product manager. I'm very biased in the sense that I think a lot of great product managers come from engineering backgrounds, since that's sort of where I came from as well. And so I've always been on the lookout and helping other engineers make this jump and transition. I think there's definitely a style of an engineer who, if you're like me, got to a point where realizing there's only so much you can do as an individual contributor writing code, right? There's only systems so complex you can build in the time that you've got. And I just found sort of product management as a cheat, which is we can build bigger things when I can lead product across 10 engineers, right? And then we can get them all working together. And that's largely how you build the cooler, bigger stuff. And so for me, that was like an engineering kind of strategy of, I just want to build bigger stuff that's more impactful. I can't do it alone. And so product management was the right place for me to move into to basically be able to corral that energy and get everybody on the right page. And I think there's certain types of engineers who kind of gravitate towards that. And I, I always recommend if that's something you're interested in, that that not to be too concerned about switching careers or jumping into product management. There's definitely a pathway there. And at, at least in a lot of the organizations I've been in, and, and especially at the organization at Spotify, it's very, I'd say, it's a lot easier to teach things like how to be a PO and, and manage a backlog, MVPs and stakeholder management. Those are things that are tons of books out there and training on. But what it's really hard to do is to have that technical background and that empathy, especially on the developer side of things. That's something that just comes through experience. And those most engineers have that, right? 
they, they may not realize that they've got it and they're using that tool, but it's there. And so it's pretty easy to make that jump. I'm always usually on the lookout for engineers who are looking to make that jump, especially when we're talking about platform engineers or, or platform product management or research product management, because we, we tend to really excel there with technical backgrounds. So if there's anybody out there who's been thinking about whether product management's for them and concerned about making a big career change, I'd say go for it and find a pathway that you can do it. But in general, the other piece about product management and learning, it's historically has been a apprentice mentorship type of approach, at least for me and in, in my generation, and I'm seeing it even moving forward. There isn't a lot of like structure to going to school to become a product manager. There's, mm-hmm. there's some ability to start now, but largely it does tend to come from finding someone who's been doing this job for a while and learning from them, getting into the trenches, learning on the job, but then having somebody who can at least provide some mentorship there. And so another key piece there is being able to establish relationships with other product managers, definitely ones who are a little bit more senior, because product management is a craft that you never stop learning. It's similar to engineering. There's always something new on an engineering front that you've got to be learning to, to stay current. Product management is one of those things where if I ever run into a product management who's as though I'm an expert in all things, I'm pretty much good at all of this. I don't need to learn anything. That's usually a red flag because it's <laughs> constantly dynamic and changing. And as I mentioned, that spectrum, you may be very good at managing a backlog and being the PO, but you may not be as strong on strategy or you may not be as strong on the advocacy and the socialization and the go-to-market pieces. And so... Mm. It's always a learning piece and hence finding good mentors and finding other product managers you can learn from because not a lot of the stuff is written down. It's also very specific to the types of products you're building or the industry that you're serving and the users that you're after. And so therefore you have to find people that are in that same space as you. That's interesting. Now you say if you're an engineer, it's easy to make that transition, but I will tell you from my experience, it can be hard, particularly because I've worn that I've had the product manager title several times in my 20 something career. And, but unfortunately it was like, I would be the first, right? There really wasn't a defined role there. It was like, well, figure it out. And without any clear defined goals, what I found over time, it was easier to go back to what I knew. And that was like hands on keyboard contributing. And so I think for you, that's great though, that if you've had mentors, uh, that makes sense that you would need someone to mentor you in that to to get you to there. But yeah, from what I, from what I observed personally is that is, that's been a hard step for me. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I've heard that from some of my reports as well. So when I was managing both product and engineering at Adobe, we were short on product. And so what ended up happening is we I had to talk to my engineering managers and start to help them to develop their own product sense, because we needed basically the engineering managers to think about the prioritization and our customers when we didn't have when it was a lack of product. And um some took to it very well, but some definitely struggled with this idea of things not being logically laid out all the time and decisions being always data-driven. In a perfect world, if we can make every decision based off of data, you don't really need a product manager. <laughs> and the reason we right. exist is not all of our decisions can be. They can be informed by data, but there's usually a bit of an experience piece that comes into it. And I know that makes some people a bit nervous, right? Because, hey, the fate of the product and the team that's working on it, if we make this wrong decision, could be bad for everybody. And I guess that's a a bit of the part where I've seen some struggle. But I recommend that anybody who's in an engineering management position, who's going beyond just being an individual contributor and starting to think about the whole team, start to think about product in that sense of understanding trade-offs and priorities that sometimes picking the best technology is not the right thing for the business. And sometimes these investments of saying, hey, let's go and 
refactor the application because we know that's the right thing to do from an engineering perspective may not necessarily be the right thing from a business perspective. And so when and any engineering manager who's getting into these roles or thinking more of it can understand the other side of these equations, it tends to help out quite a bit. Because ultimately, product managers aren't really making decisions around the product. We shouldn't be in general. We should be leading the conversations for the team to make decisions as a whole. And as a sense, you have to teach product management a little bit to everybody so that we all feel like we're having a role to play when we talk about which direction and how to make trade-offs. Because ultimately, yeah, if it's just a product manager at the end of the day making all those decisions, the product's probably not going to be that great. And also, you're highly dependent on then this one person for all of your success, whether it's right or wrong. And if that person leaves uh, or something happens, you're back to then to square one. So I've always felt it was important for at least once we get past individual level engineering commits to start thinking about product and start to have a sense. Anecdotally, what I found though too, and this was always, I, I felt really good with my team, a really great moment for me was we had always be growing the engineering team and our product team, and we'd always have headcount. And we'd sit say, say, okay, next year we can hire 10 more people. And for the first few years, it was like, well, let's just keep hiring engineers. Yeah, we could do more with engineers. Engineers could do everything. But my engineering managers were handling the product prioritization for a couple of these projects. And when we got to, I think, like year two, and we had some headcount, and everyone's like, we should just hire some product managers because this stuff is hard, and we'd like to offload it. And I, I feel like, and I, I went through this when I chose to come to Spotify, that if you want to be a really good engineer, you kind of want to really focus on it exclusively. And if you want to be a really good product manager, you got to focus on it exclusively. It's very hard to be great at these two different disciplines at the same time. People can do it, but you tend to just sort of jack of all trades, but not a master in any of those. And so that was a nice moment where the team who's traditionally would always like more engineers was like, now it's time. We, we should be hiring product managers because we could take this off of our shoulders and they can really drive it. But that also then helped to build, which is another important respect for product management as a craft, because that's another thing that's gone up and down over the years of sometimes there are cultures in organizations that don't believe they need product at all. And sometimes it's over the top where we think all we need is product. And so one of those things is making sure everybody understands what the roles and the value is there. And then you have a, a good foundation for the roles and responsibilities and value that you put in product. Nice. So if, if I were to say to you, Adam, and this is Tim talking, I, I really would like to make the move and become a, a product manager. But I just don't know how to start. You touched on it a little bit, but what would be some good resources that we'd say, Tim, you need to check this out and this out or people you need to talk to or books you need to read or any sort of resource that you think would help me out? Well, the so there's a couple of things. One, looking around your company, there's probably a need for product management work that's just not being covered. <laughs> and you can usually pick up some of those tasks as an engineer or there's product managers who are more like who are happy to have the help to do that. So I, I always look around and I, I guarantee you'll find things that look a lot like product management, even without having to take on the title that you can start to get, you can start to add that support. From a training perspective, I haven't gone through this yet, but it's really growing on me and I'm looking to do this with my team in the future. There's a new, a new site out there called Reforge, which has been putting a lot of product management training online in sort of a cohort fashion where they run similar to university style. There's a course that's running in an afternoon or sorry, in a 
a quarter, they say the fall cohort or so to speak, that lots of different companies will send product management into. They'll all go through the course online together. That seems to be pretty good. And looking at the content that they offer, there's definitely a lot of the beginnings of how to learn product management here. And you'd also get to do it with a group of other people who are in the same peer group as well. Any product, anybody who's looking at product management, those seem to be fairly good resources to get into. But I, I do come back to find a product manager that you have a lot of respect for, that you think is doing a good job. Because usually if you're an engineer and you think the product manager is doing a good job, they're probably a good product manager. And so, and just learn from that perspective. It's a good, it's important to though, to engage and sort of ask questions and actually have a conversation around it. Because I've also found that what you see a product manager do, like visibly, is not necessarily everything that a product manager does. And so you can get the idea that, oh, I see this person's going out and speaking at conferences and then coming in like, doing things in JIRA and aligning a backlog. That must be the job. And it's true, but that's really just the externally viewable parts of the job. There's actually this other piece, all these other pieces that come into play that I know a couple of people have been surprised about when they've made the transition because they were saying, well, I saw all that stuff. I thought that was the whole job. And it's like, no, no, that's like the fun part. There's the other stuff that's not always <laughs> as fun, right? And these are the, the harder things that we deal with. Cool. I'll check that out. And we'll put that in the show notes, reforge.com, Mastering Product Management. I'm looking at it right now. That, that looks interesting. Well, Adam, so appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else that you want to plug or, or talk about or let, let the folks know going on with you in your life? Sure. I've got a couple things to plug. I am always hiring more product managers at Spotify. And as I talked about, I've definitely got a penchant for those who want to make the jump from engineering over. And I've got a couple roles right now that are probably good fit for engineers who want to transition into it. And I've also, I'm definitely open and supportive of helping to grow product managers from the beginning all the way up. It's as part of my role here. So uh, if you're interested in product management, definitely take a look at the job boards over at Spotify. I think we've got a lot of great opportunities coming up too. The other part that I'll talk a little bit about just to get the word out a bit is one of the projects that I started at Adobe, which is Adobe's first open source project. Now we've had things we have open source after the fact, but this was the first time where we started the project on day one with the intent of it being an open source project and, and being community driven. And that is Brackets, the, the lightweight code editor. If you guys are familiar with Brackets, the high level idea was, and this was a long time ago, prior to VS Code and others, which was build a lightweight code editor in HTML, JavaScript, and CSS that's meant for HTML, JavaScript, and CSS development. So it's a bit of a, a recursive idea where if you are, are able to use this product, then you're also able to contribute to the product, right? It, it broke some of the, the previous boundaries we had where Maybe if you're a web developer, but you wanted to contribute to your editor, you'd have to, in Eclipse days, learn Java, or you'd have to write C or something else to do desktop development. So we tried to solve that by building it sort of on top of the web stack, even though it's a desktop-based application. The reason I bring it up now is we've now transitioned the project 100% from Adobe back to the community. So for a while after I had left the team, Brackets had moved over to the responsibility of the Dreamweaver team. So they were managing both Dreamweaver and Brackets in parallel and sharing lots of awesome features in between the two. But, now, but more recently, Adobe's trying to step back from the project. It's fully now in the community's hands. And of course, we're always looking for more support on the project, any developers who want to contribute to it. It's a bit of a task, though, I'll be honest with you at this point, because as I mentioned, we started this project ahead of VS Code. A lot of the core ideas that came into brackets you'll find now in VS Code and other editors that have followed suit. Our goal really was to try to shake up and 
try to move forward web development tooling at that time. And I think we, we did a great job. But now the, the editor's still out there. I think the last time we checked, there's almost a million monthly active users of it. And so there's actually a large community out there still using the, the product. But that also means like th- there's a lot of work still to be done. And so the community is about to have its first major release, which, which will be the first builds that we've made post Adobe. And of course, we're dealing with stuff like getting certs and stuff like that and getting all the boring stuff aligned. But if you're interested in contributing or interested in checking out the project, I highly recommend checking out brackets.io on the website. You'll find pretty much everything you need there to like either contribute to the project, join the Discord with the community, build extensions. If you're not into actually working on the core product, there's a whole bit extensibility layer for plugins and stuff like that. But but yeah, it's a great little project. It's not out there to try to take over the world and become like the definitive code editor. It's very focused on its space of, you know, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But yeah, give it a shot and ideally contribute if you're up for it. Well, Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation, some, some excellent insights, and I hope things go well with you at Spotify. Thanks, thanks. Oh, wait, I, I forgot to say the one thing I've always wanted to say. Long-time listener, first-time caller. That's true. Yeah, you blows. So, how long you actually listened to this show? I've listened to the show since uh, episode one, of course. Well, that's all. That's awesome. So, I feel bad now. You probably know a whole lot more about me than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Good deal. Well, thanks so much, Adam, and great talking to you. All right, thanks. Okay, Tim, that was a, a great interview. Good job, man. Hey, well, I mean, Adam did all the work, man. He, he <laughs> loves talking about products, so he does. I, I just gave him the rope, and he ran with it. So. Yeah, I I found it particularly interesting how there's like this whole other side of Spotify. I guess he's director of product, but not for the music player apps. It's like for the, what did he call it? The content team or something where it's yeah, like we're working with the creatives, the tools that they use, the artists and stuff. Artists. Yeah, that was, it makes perfect sense now that you think about it, but it had never occurred to me. Yeah. Well, I, I sound like he's doing well and uh, he's made the offer out there. If you're interested in getting into, you know, product development and product managing, he, he's looking to mentor people and they're hiring constantly. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. I saw because he mentioned all of the open positions. I went and took a look and they, they have a ton of open positions and they're hiring all around the world. So yep. it's a pretty good opportunity. Pretty neat place to work. It seems like. Sure. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us tonight. As usual, this episode of Working Code is brought to you by Grenades First, the best way to get stuff done. <laughs> Grenades First. And listeners like you, if you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash workingcodepod. So new this week, we have uh, a new patron, Matthew Darby. Welcome to the team. Glad to have you. Thanks, Matt. Yo, yo. So, of course, we have to thank our top patrons, Monty and Peter. You guys rock. Thanks so much for your continued support. And to everybody else, if patronizing podcasts isn't your thing, that's totally cool with us. We just appreciate that you take the time to listen. We are thankful for you this time of year. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe you could post about it on your social media or tell your friends and your coworkers about it. And it would apparently, as they say, really help us out if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us your questions and your show topics on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod, or you can leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. Or you can join our Discord at workingcode.dev slash Discord. And not only can you give us your topic ideas and questions there, but you can just interact with uh, other listeners and us, the hosts, and it's a lot of fun. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, guys, your heart matters. Even if you stream on not Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell Adam I listen on uh, YouTube music. (laughs) 
Oops, I think he knows now. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.